Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. I forgot my blonde joke last Wednesday night after the service. I thought, oh man. So there was this brunette, there was this redhead, and there was this blonde. They were exploring in a cave. And the, 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 the entrance caved in and they were trapped. Well, they were looking around and the brunette found an oil lamp. The kind that looks like a genie lives in it. So she rubbed it. Sure enough, a genie pops out. And he says, I'll grant each one of you one wish. And the brunette said, great. I'm trapped in this cave. I want to go home. Poof. She was out of the cave and she was home. So the redhead picked up the lamp, rubbed it. Genie pops out. Says, I'll grant you one wish. She says, I want to go home too. Poof. You know, she's home. The blonde goes over, picks up the lamp and rubs it. Genie comes out. I'll grant you one wish. She said, I wish I had my friends back. I know, that's corny, that's corny. <laughs> anyway, okay, we're concerned about the virus. We're concerned about some social turmoil in our country. It's not the first time we've seen it, but it concerns us all. Seeing what's going on, I mentioned Sunday that we have several options. One, we can be afraid. That's not, that doesn't sound like a real good option for Christians. Two, we can be mad. Uh, well, if mad is all you get, what have you done? Three, we could stick our head in the sand and just try to ignore it. That would prove not too smart. Uh, or, or we can be salt and light. And I find that encouraging because I like to know that when there's a problem, there's something we can do to fix it that we don't have to live with it, we don't have to accept it, there's something that we can do. And we find in Matthew chapter 5 verses that we should find very, very encouraging. And I read them to you Sunday morning, I'll read them to you again. It says in Matthew 5 verse number 13, Ye are the salt of the earth. That's us Christians. I know some of us are a little more mature than others. Others are immature. We all have our issues. We all have our problems. We are, all aren't what we ought to be. We disappoint ourselves. We disappoint others. We struggle with this. We struggle with that. But having said that, Jesus still said it. Ye are the salt of the earth. But then he gives this warning. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. Not only are you salt, but you are light. Whose light? He's teaching this at the Sermon on the Mount. He's got a hillside full of people. Some are real smart. Some are not so smart. Some are very outgoing. Some are not so outgoing. Some are very, very talented. Others are not so talented. Whether you're talented or not, outgoing or not, they all have problems, they all have issues, they all have their fears. And it's to those people 
that he said, not only are you salt, but you are light. And if you and I were sitting on that hillside today, and if he were preaching to us today, even with our shortcomings, even with how we frustrate our spouses, still he points to us and says, ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. And he says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. That speaks to the power of what it means to be salt and light. And then in verse number 15, he says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. You're you're light. You want your light to shine. Don't don't limit yourself. Don't, Don't put a basket over yourself, he says, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let them see you. Let them see how you live your life. Then they will glorify your Father which is in heaven, which means they will get saved. It will change their lives. And instead of burning down buildings, they'll be teaching Sunday school classes. Instead of disrespecting authority, they'll know that all authority is of God. It makes a huge difference that you and I are salt and light. And it's not said of any other people, any other organization on the face of the earth. It's not said that of the military. It's not said that of the Congress. It's not said that of higher education. It's not said that of the entertainment world. Regular folks going to their jobs, trying to make a living, trying to live moral, decent lives, trying to improve our character. We are salt and light. Which means... We are in a position to influence the world around us, the society around us for good. As salt, we prevent societal decay. And we, and we do that by seeing people go to heaven. And that's the most important thing, seeing people go to heaven. A blessing of that is you're creating a little bit of heaven on earth. So as salt, we prevent societal decay. And as light, we promote societal goodness. Light shows people the way. And that's one of the things we need to do with our friends and neighbors, folks. We need to educate people as to why liberalism, as to why progressivism produces what you see it producing. Not only do we need to see folks saved, and not only do we need to see them taught Scripture, But we need to show them from Scripture why Sodom and Gomorrah was a bad place to live and and, and why a a, a godly home is a better way to live. More about that later. Now, that's kind of where we ended it last week, and we showed you from the first part of the Sermon on the Mount how we can be salt and light. And it's by our good character. It's by integrity. it's it's by being sober by sober I I mean serious by being humble by being meek people respect that people know that that's good people gravitate to that which allows you the opportunity to influence them but as Jesus was speaking to us about being salt and light intertwined in there and I know you heard it He gives us a warning. Beware. Salt can lose its savor. 
light can be put under a bushel basket. What he means by that is Christians can lose their influence. We can have influence and things can happen in us, through us, and to us that can cause us to lose our savor, that can cause us to put our light under a bushel basket. And that's the last thing we need now. That is the last thing we need now. We need our salt to be affecting everyone around us. We need our light to be guiding the way to everyone around us. So how is it that you, I, Jamie, Amber, Sharon, how is it that how is it possible that we could lose our savor? How is it possible that our light could be put under a basket? How is it that we could fail to do the great good that God intends for us to do? How is that possible? Well, there's lots of places you can go in Scripture. The Lord led me, of all places, to the book of Revelation and the seven churches that are addressed at the beginning of that book. And the Lord led me there because there are about five churches there that obviously lost their savor. That their light was put under a bushel basket. Because there was about five of them that he condemned or he reprimanded, if you will. The idea being their light wasn't shining. And they weren't being very savorous, if that's a word, to those around them. And I want us to look at those churches. We'll look at them quickly. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them. But you'll, you'll get the message. And I want you to ask yourself, is my light shining as bright as it can and should to be effective to produce good in this world through people being saved and lives being changed? Is my light shining? Is, is my salt affecting those around me? Let me show you from the book of Revelation how churches lost their Savior. Five of them. Number one, you cease to be salt and light when God ceases to be your first love. You cease to be salt and light when God ceases to be your first love. To the church at Ephesus, he said... In chapter 2. Nevertheless I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. So obviously what happened there. The love that they had for God initially. Had become cold and stale. They left their first love. Indicating to me they lost their savor. They lost their, their, their ability to, for their light to shine. When your love becomes cold and stale, your salt loses its savor. Your light is then put under a basket. Why would an unbeliever love someone you have fallen out of love with? I mean, if you love sports more than God, if you love a day off more than a day in the, in the Lord's house, people see that. And we have the opportunity to get them to love God, but they look at us and they, they have a way, lost people have a way of analyzing things. And they're, they're reading us. And they're looking for consistency. And they're looking for a zealous love for God. And the church at Ephesus, the Lord said of them, they left their first love. And I believe that indicates to us a way that we can lose our savor, that we can uh, put our light under a basket. During, during this time that we're out of sync, do not lose your first love. How is that indicated? The fact that you're watching tonight. The fact that you will either be here or you will be watching on Sunday morning. If anybody that starts missing 
And this doesn't make it up. I mean, some people miss, they have to, and they make it up later, that's fine. But that's a problem. That's a problem. Number two, you cease to be salt and light when you let people in the church become stumbling blocks to others by bringing compromise and immorality into the church. That's a big statement. Let me put it up here. Let me read it again. You cease to be salt and light when you let people in the church who become stumbling blocks to others, how? By bringing in with them compromise and immorality into the church. The church at Pergamos, the Lord said of them, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. This is stuff, this is worldliness that they bring into the church. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. So some people in the church were okay with the way of Balak and the way of the Nicolaitans, both of which brought compromise into the church, eating things sacrificed to idols. In other words, they're just taking part in idol worship here. And it mentions immorality. It mentions fornication. It had become okay in the church. They had become cornal. Well, the problem with that is when you compromise your faith and partake in immorality, you lose your savor and your light is put under a basket. Because lost people look at that and they see hypocrisy. Not all, but many lost people have a a high expectation of Christians, a high expectation of the God that we proclaim. And when they see our lives becoming enamored with worldliness and carnality and going to places we shouldn't go and looking at things we shouldn't look at and laughing at things we shouldn't laugh at. We cease to become salt and light. And this church was reprimanded for that. Number three, the church at Thyatira teaches us that you cease to be salt and light when you listen to false leaders who will justify sin. And that's one of the ways you know they're a false leader because they're justifying sin. Look in Revelation 2.20. Here, another church is reprimanded. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. God didn't call her a prophetess. She didn't meet any qualifications in Scripture. She called herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants... God's people and be uh, and to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Again, the implication there eating things sacrificed unto idols is more in this scenario more than just eating meat offered to idols. Paul covered that in, in Romans, but this is more just an involvement in the whole party scene that was involved with sacrificing to idols and the fornication. So here we have a woman who claimed to speak for God. She had taught people in the church that it was okay to be immoral and be socially involved with lost people. I read that one of the things that's happened in this pandemic is that many church members through online are experiencing lots of other online preaching. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful who you expose yourself to. We really don't know who this woman Jezebel is, 
that's teaching these people and influencing these people. But some people bought into it because it's easy to backslide. It takes a little effort to live godly and holy and righteous. So if you're listening to other good preachers and if they're preaching the word and they're not just entertainers, they're not just slick, they're not misinterpreting scripture and you can get a blessing from a good Bible preacher, then praise the Lord. I like to listen to good preachers. I can recommend some uh, to you if you'd like to, uh, to listen to others. But you have to be careful because these people, because they listen to this false teacher, it leads them into sin. And you've got to lose your savor. You've got to put your light under a bushel basket. You know, again, you're going to not be... When lost people see saved people being compromised, they know that those saved people are basically doing the same thing they're doing. They don't see any difference, so it is not attractive to them. Very important for us to understand that. Number four, I've got to move quickly. The next church is the church at Sardis. You cease to be salt and light when you think you are spiritually alive, but you're really spiritually dead. I think I know a lot of people, not at this church, thankfully, who really think they're spiritual. And really, if you use the Bible as the criteria for what it means to be spiritual I think a lot of them would be lacking and unto the angel of the church of Sardis write these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars I know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die for I have not found thy works perfect before God I think it's a tragic scenario when there's a pastor, a Christian, a church, a family that thinks they're spiritual, but really they are dead. And again, oddly enough, lost people and backsliding people, sometimes they seem to know better. And they see through that. And a church that is just like the world is just world light. And worldly people aren't affected by that. They're not impacted by that. Number five, you cease to be salt and light when you're lukewarm. The church at Laodicea, what a sad testimony. Revelation 3.15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold. They weren't cold. They weren't cold. They're still kind of going through the motions. They're, they got the, the talk. They got the language. They'll show up to church. You know, when it's convenient, because they're not hot. He says, Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The Lord says here, and this is rather challenging to think, He said, I'd rather you be cold. I would rather you be cold are hot than lukewarm. Lost people are turned off by lukewarm Christians. If you aren't excited about the Lord, if you aren't excited about maturing spiritually and overcoming your sins and being blessed of the Lord, why should they be interested in that? So, the Lord tells us something that you should find absolutely exciting and encouraging 
that you are salt and light, that you can be a force for good in your sphere of influence. And you can even extend that sphere by being a part of a church where working together, the sum is greater than the parts. And through missions, we can extend our influence even further. That when we see things going awry in our culture, we don't have to get mad. We don't have to stick our head in the sand. We don't have to live in fear. We can get busy. We can be rejuvenated. We can see revival. But understand, there were churches that actually God condemned. So what, what is the answer? Because for each one of those churches, if you go back and read it, they weren't condemned to oblivion. He offered them the opportunity to get right. And for each of those churches, he uses the word repent. Remember, this is the church at Ephesus, and this is said of each of those churches. After he critiques them, if you will, criticizes them, chastens them, he offers them this opportunity. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, he told the church of Ephesus after he chastened them, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of the place, except thou repent. We as a church, if we ever find ourselves losing our salt, losing our, our light, we need to repent. If you have found yourself backsliding during this time, which I, I, it would be hard for me to understand that, um, because I would think during this time this would be a time of growth. This would be a time of reflection. This would be a time of focusing you know, all the sports have been taken away. Haircuts have been taken away. Well, thankfully, that's coming back. But uh, it's a time for introspection. It's a time the Lord just took everything away. We should be growing. And as you reflect upon yourself, don't get discouraged. Don't beat yourself up. Simply repent. Acknowledge your sin. Tell God you're a sinner. And he'll forgive you your sins. And you can be salt and light. So, is Jesus no longer your first love? Are you guilty of spiritual compromise right now? Do you listen to and are you influenced by teachers who are not faithful to the word? Do you think you're spiritually alive when you're really spiritually dead? And are you a lukewarm Christian? If you are, i got more good news for you. You can do something about it. We'll close with this quote from Spurgeon. The object of our shining, as he comments on this passage, the object of our shining is not that men may see how good we are, nor even see us at all. So don't worry about how am I going to be? No, we're pointing them to Jesus. But that they may see grace in us and God in us and cry, what a father these people must have. That's worth repeating. The object of our shining is not that men may see how good we are, nor even see us at all, but they may see grace in us and God in us and cry, what a father these people must have. It's not required that we be perfect. It's not required that we be sinless. It's required that we be a child of God, working on our imperfections, working on our sins, repenting of them, 
and being thrilled with the fact that God can use us to see people saved through peace, seeing people saved, seeing people grow, seeing backslidden people reclaimed, and seeing this nation turn back to God. What a wonderful byproduct of revival and seeing people saved and souls reclaimed. This is a time to be excited. This is a time for us as a church family to ask, Pastor, what can I do? What, what can we do? And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be focusing on that. We're, we don't want to be treading water right now. We want to be making a difference. And as, as I told you Sunday, there are literally tens of thousands of still gospel-preaching, Bible-believing churches around this country that are calling their people to, to reinvigorate themselves and to get on fire. And we can see a great revival. That happened often in the book of, of Judges. God blessed. People prospered. They got spoiled. They became sinful. God judged them. Then revival came. And God blessed them. We're at the point for revival now. So I'm excited about it. Thank you for joining us tonight. I trust we will see you again Sunday. One service. 11 o'clock. In here, we will have social distancing. We can only seat so many people in here. It'll be a little different, but it'll be good. If we have too many people, we can put a few overflow in the foyer, a few overflow back in the back, and uh, just respect others. Let me tell you, I've talked to a lot of people and a lot of people in our church. Folks, there are some folks that are fearful, and that's okay. So, you know, just watch your kids, teenagers. Be careful. We'll have a great day Sunday. We love you. If you need anything, the call-in lines are open 24-7, especially Jamie's. So you call us, and uh, if you need us, we're here for you. We love you, and hopefully we'll see you Sunday. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mayo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.